Yo, Eagles Nation, stand up. Barkley put it, <laughs> looking like another grease pole night in Philly. 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 Facts. And away we go. Two years in the making, ladies and gentlemen. Pour yourself a strong one. Kick your feet up. In the middle of a nationwide quarantine, a global pandemic, get your mind right and welcome to episode one, the pilot edition, if you will, of the Grease Pole podcast. Thank you so much for taking part in this momentous occasion. My name is Corey O'Neill. I will be your host. Uh, Alongside me, uh, we are social distancing here, is producer extraordinaire, my good friend Justin Wilson. We are six feet apart. We are safe. You can't see us, but no need to panic. We are all good. So however you are dealing with this quarantine, uh, you know, may may God be with you or whatever it is that you believe in. Stay the hell off Facebook. Stay away from all your friends that are doctors, uh, that think they're doctors, that are politicians. How many of those do you have in your life, Justin? Do you have as many uh, doctors or politicians in your life as I do? Okay, yeah, so we're about the same. It's, I think that that is on par. That is one of the most obnoxious things about this, that and just the general everything about it. Um, you know, we saw this coming, and uh, here we are. So, you know, we were along for the ride now. But uh, nonetheless, um, here we are. And I think one of the, one, the worst things about this, if you're a sports fan, is just having nothing in your life now. Like, this would be a perfect time for ESPN Classic back in the day old home run derbies from the 1960s, dude, Hank Aaron, Eddie Williams, Roger Maris, give me that. You know, and this couldn't have come, especially if you're a hockey fan too, and this obviously, you know, we'll, we'll get into the niche of the show if you haven't figured it out by the name. This is an Eagles podcast. As a Flyers fan, this could not have come at a worse time. This could not, like, we couldn't have got a global pandemic last year when we were freaking trash. You know, we won nine in a row. We were white fucking hot. Lost to Boston 2-0, outplayed them, though. Tuka Rask was a brick wall, and then Rudy Gobert gets coronavirus and all hell breaks loose. Although I feel like nobody cared about Rudy Gobert. Once Tom Hanks got it, everybody everybody shit their pants. Now it's time to take it serious because he is probably – Tom Hanks is in the Mount Rushmore of America of people you cannot, like, don't fuck with. You know what I mean? He's one of those guys. So once he got it, now now it's real. Before it wasn't, now it is when Tom Hanks got it. So – Nonetheless, a lot have happened uh, since since I was last on the airwaves anyway. And again, episode one. So let's just quickly go over um, some things that have happened in free agency. Obviously, this has already passed. But uh, Javon Hargrave comes in on a three-year, $39 million deal, $26 million guaranteed. You know, Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator for the Eagles, he wants to get quarterback pressure with just four rushers. He doesn't blitz a whole lot. All right, so he wants to get pressure with that front four. Hargrave's going to be in a defensive tackle rotation with Big Fletcher Cox, the man, the all-pro, the member of the all-decade. Malik Jackson, last year's big free agency signing, and Hassan Ridgeway. Hargrave's totaled 10.5 sacks over the last two years in Pittsburgh, so he will fit right in 
good pickup. He will be able to contribute and keep that defensive front a strength of this team. And one of the things I want to touch on on the show is is general manager Howie Roseman. And we'll we'll circle around that. We'll get back to it and everything else. But I remember when free agency started, and this goes back to the quarantine thing. We had no sports at the time. Everything had been shut down. Okay, NFL is going to continue with free agency to try and keep some semblance of normal life for everybody else. That's when all the Eagles, Eagles social media was going nuts. What's Howie Roseman going to do? What's he going to do? Okay, DeAndre Hopkins goes to Arizona for a second-round pick and David Johnson, who is now damaged goods. Why couldn't Howie Roseman make a better deal? What is Howie Roseman doing? He's waiting until day two, day three to make moves. Because you have, remember, you have the legal tampering period of 48 hours. Technical phrase started, the new league year started that Wednesday. I can't think of the date offhand. I want to say it was the 18th. But you had the legal tampering period that began that Monday, and that's when all hell just broke loose. That's technically those 48 hours, that legal tampering period, is normally when you see the big names start going. That's when the dominoes fall. Boom, 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 boom. So Wednesday rolls around. Everybody's shitting on Howie Roseman all over Eagle social media. What the fuck is he doing? This guy's terrible. You know, for, forget the fact that this team just won a Super Bowl fucking two years ago. And, oh, now he drafted our Sega Whiteside over DK Metcalf. And, you know, just Howie Roseman, it was like the scene in Natural Born Killers. He's Warden McCluskey. Everybody's coming for his head on a fucking pitchfork. Then he goes out and trades for Darius Slay. An all-pro corner, a presence this team sorely, sorely needed. Has not had a shutdown corner in a decade. This is a team that also had Ryan Fitzpatrick throw for fucking 1,596 yards against it in November. This is a need. This is a need. Darius Slay is one of the best in the NFL. He's a shutdown corner, and he is now a Philadelphia Eagle. Him and Matt Patricia had some beef. They wanted to get him the hell out of Detroit. We send them, well, not we, I guess we, but Howie Roseman sends him a third rounder, number 85 overall, and a fifth round pick, 166 overall to Detroit in exchange for Slay's services, and he couldn't be happier judging by everything he's put out over social media. On top of that, he signs a three-year extension worth $50 million with the Birds. 26, just over $26 million guaranteed. Best part about this is it's a super team-friendly deal, right? $4.3 million cap hit this season in 2020. Now, if the Birds cut him after two years, the team saves $13.25 million. If he stays three years, the Eagles save $17.5 million and owe only three and a quarter million from his prorated signing bonus. Hell of a team-friendly deal for a guy that's as talented as Slay is and also fills a tremendous void on this team in the secondary. From all reports, he's a great teammate, great locker room guy. You know, again, sorely, sorely needed on this team. And in addition to that, Nikel Roby Coleman, who is obviously most known for uh, just taking a shit all over the New Orleans Saints fan base, and uh, Sean Payton's temper tantrum into getting us uh, pass interference to be reviewed for a season. That's no longer there. Thank God. You know, so now Nicole, Nicole Roby Coleman, one of the best slot corners in the NFL, signs a one-year, $1.3 million deal with the Eagles, fully guaranteed. Pro Football Photos Focus ranked him the slot corner in the NFL last year. 19th. All right, now slot corner, it's, it's a little bit different. You need... That is not a presence every defense has, okay? This is a presence that this team did not have last year in 2019. Had it in the Super Bowl year with Patrick Robinson. 
And you see that made all the difference in the secondary. So now that presence is back with the slot god, Nikel Roby Coleman. In terms of departures, Jordan Howard goes to Miami for two years and $10 million. As far as I'm concerned, bye-bye. Miles Sanders can do everything. He's younger. He's more talented, in my opinion. I love Jordan Howard. I love that move to bring him in by Howie Roseman last year for a six-round pick for Detroit. But when you've got a rookie going into a second year of Miles Sanders who is as talented as he is, is he as he's not he's not Saquon Barkley, he's not Christian McCaffrey talented in terms of pure talent, but there's nothing he can't do. You can make the argument for the first, especially the first half of the season last year, he was more valuable out of the backfield as a receiver than he was as a running back. He's only going to get better. He is going to be an asset to this team going forward. Miles Sanders is going to be a monster. Keep an eye out for him in your fantasy drafts. Fantasy nerds, I'm telling you right now, get ready to take Miles Sanders in the top three rounds of your draft because he's going to be a fucking monster this year. The one that hurt was Malcolm Jenkins, obviously. He is a spiritual leader of this team. It was kind of, kind of similar when Brian Dawkins left in a sense, because he was that guy whenever you saw the birds put the, put the locker room videos out post-game in the locker room, he was always the guy in the middle of everybody rallying the troops. He was the emotional leader of that team. Hell of a player, didn't miss a snap. It's possible his number 27 may be retired one day by the Eagles. Everything he did off the field as well for the community. It is so tough to lose a guy like that. I'm big on, on not just on the field, but locker room stuff, off the field. What does a guy bring to the table? It's very difficult to replace a guy like Malcolm Jenkins. He wants more money. Ultimately, part ways, and it cuts like a knife, and it doesn't feel so right, unlike Brian Adams. He ends up going back to New Orleans. Four years, $32 million, $16 million guaranteed to return to the team that drafted him in the first round in 2009. He's got no guaranteed money beyond 2021, which is a little bizarre to me. Kind of weird. He is a veteran, though, so I get I get it from New Orleans standpoint. But, uh, you know, love, love Malcolm. We can still be friends. He's a hero in the city. And, uh, you know, wish him the best until we play him, you know, at some point. Uh, that leaves Rodney McLeod, who got re-signed, and Jalen Mills will now be transitioning uh, from corner to safety, even even made a number change to signify the change. So he's going from number 31 to 21, so you know he's serious. Um, I like the move. I like McLeod. I like bringing him back so you can keep some semblance of, you know, similarity in the back half of the secondary. I like moving Jalen Mills back there as well. You know, Jalen Mills is one of those guys, he's, he's incredibly inconsistent, but you got to give it to him because he turned it on so and he played at such a high level during that Super Bowl run. If he doesn't break up that pass against Julio Jones in the divisional round in the end zone against Atlanta, you know, Super Bowl 52 doesn't happen. You know, Jalen Mills, and he, he drives me nuts too, right, With when he, when he bites on the double moves and he gets fucking burnt. It'll drive you nuts. But the guy plays with grit. The guy plays with heart. I love the move to safety. I think that fits his skill set a little better. I like the tandem of having him – and Jalen Mills as the last line of defense. And I also, you you couple that with Nikel Roby Coleman, Darius Slay, you've got Avante Maddox, Craven LeBlanc, you know, Sidney Jones, maybe if he can pick it up a little bit, right, and, and live up to where he was drafted. Sidney Jones would have been a top-ten pick, first-round pick for sure, had he not blown his ACL out of his pro day. Getting him in the second round was value. That was a steal. I was stoked as hell when that pick happened. Right, but it just it hasn't panned out so far. This is the opportunity 
for Sidney Jones to step it the fuck up. This defense, the only thing it's missing right now, the only thing it's missing, you can uh, – another corner wouldn't hurt, right? Another shutdown corner opposite Darius Slay. That certainly wouldn't hurt. And you need linebackers as well. You need linebackers as well. T.J. Edwards, Nathan Jerry, undersized white dude, <laughs> converted safety from Nebraska. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, Nigel Bradham's gone, who was the best linebacker. Camus uh, Grugier Hill, who my pops calls Grunger Hill because he can't pronounce his fucking name. He's now gone. So your linebacking core is depleted. And that, I think, is something we'll, – we'll, next episode, episode two, we'll delve heavy into draft talk. Um, I think linebacker is a sneaky possibility for the first round for the Birds. I don't think it's so sneaky anymore. You're starting to see mock drafts pick up guys like Kenneth Murray going 21, Patrick Queen, things of that nature. You know, But we'll, that's, that's for the draft episode. That's for the straight eight-ball cocaine. The draft is my favorite drug every year. Three years, use PTO every day. For those three days, excuse me, take off, and it's just a bender. It's amazing. All right, so, again, my point is, for all the people that were that were trashing on Howie Roseman, okay, look, he came through. He came through. Relax. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. All right, which leads me to, with the draft coming up, though, I wanted to go back. You're starting to see, you know, with the turn to the new decade now, the NFL just released its all-decade team a couple days ago this past week. Four Eagles made the list. At running back, you had LaShawn McCoy. Tackle, you had Jason Peters. Defensive tackle, you had Fletcher Cox. And Darren Sproles made as a flex and a punt returner. Okay, so four Eagles made the all-decade team. And I even thought about, ah, maybe I'll put my own all-decade team together. Kind of started fiddling around with that. Notice that's already been done. I'm like, ah, I don't want to do that then. So I started thinking, why don't I put together an all-decade shit team? Just the trash <laughs> For the past decade, because God knows it would be fun, and there's been some good years in between, but we could definitely fill a 22-man roster with the disasters from the Chip Kelly era. Then I saw somebody beat me to that, too. I think it was Reuben Frank, I believe. So what I wanted to do, and this is stuff you can go, but you can you can individually you know, look at, look at who – it's not hard to find a draft history on Wikipedia. It's not. But I wanted to look at every first-round pick the Birds have made with the draft around the corner the past decade and see how they panned out, because I think – I think you can see a pattern of where Howie Roseman's going. Because remember, Howie Roseman's been the general manager of this team the entire decade, save for one year in 2015 when Chip Kelly threw a fucking temper tantrum and ended up getting personnel control. All right, that one year is the outlier. We'll get to that too. But I think if you look at every single pick in the first round this past decade, you'll start to see a pattern in Howie Roseman's line of thinking. And again, if you're an Eagles fan that, that has an IQ above salad dressing, this is a smart fan base for the most part, except for the people that supported Michael Vick over Nick Foles back in the day. You guys can go piss up a rope. All right? You guys don't count. All right? That's back when I was in the days of Facebook message boards and staying up till 3 in the morning arguing with people because I had no life whatsoever, clearly. All right? And there's still people to do that. And, you know, for those that do, mazel tov to you. But I wanted to look back at the last decade of first-round picks from Howie Roseman and really – Really dial in in terms of what what his resume is. So let's go back to 2010, obviously, start of the decade. And this draft I remember specifically because Brian Dawkins had just left. The GOAT, Weapon X, my favorite Eagle of all time. I'm not the only Eagles fan there. All right. He's he's a he's a very popular favorite Eagle of all time, and justifiably so. He had just left to go to Denver in free agency. 
So this year, you had the perfect guy coming out to step in for him. Perfect guy. Earl Thomas, safety out of Texas. I wanted him so bad. So bad I wanted Earl Thomas. So bad I could fucking taste it. Traded up to the 13th pick. Earl Thomas is still available. Like, okay, here we go. This is it. This is it. With 13th pick, Philadelphia Eagles select Brandon Graham, defensive end out of Michigan. And I just went, oh, shit. Look, I'm a Penn State fan. So, you know, Michigan's obviously in the Big Ten. I, I like Brandon Graham as a player. But at the time, Earl Thomas was the glaring need. He seemed to be the guy that was the clear-cut pick. Roseman trades up, goes with Brandon Graham. Now, obviously, that pick has worked out because Brandon Graham is a legend now for life, right? He's got the strip sack against, you know, the Patriots and Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, helped seal the deal to bring the city of Philly its first ever Lombardi trophy. All right, he's a legend forever now. So that pick played out. But take yourself back 10 years ago to when that pick was announced. How'd you feel? Did you want Earl Thomas as bad as I did, or did you go, oh, okay? You know, again, didn't completely hate it. It it would have been fine if Earl Thomas wasn't sitting right there and looking looking so great and so perfect to step in for Weapon X. So we start off the decade, 2010, how he moves up to get his guy, Brandon Graham. And obviously we know enough now to say that it was the right move. So we go one for one here for Howie Roseman. <laughs> Next year in 2011 – is when it gets, uh, we almost completely undo the good that would eventually come. 23rd overall, the Eagles select the 26-year-old firefighter out of Baylor, Fireman Dan, Danny Watkins. What a fucking mess. One of the worst picks in the history of this franchise. Really all that needs to be said. Right? If you're an Eagles fan, if you're listening to this, I don't need to delve into Danny Watkins too much. You you know his track record. Just suffice it to say, if you don't, taking a 26-year-old firefighter in the first round with your first-round pick, that's the route we went. And it showed. It played out. He didn't, didn't do a whole lot, didn't have a great career. 2012, Fletcher Cox with the 12th overall pick. Hell of a pick. Again, we just touched on an all-decade team, Fletcher Cox. Okay, great. He's going to have his number retired more than likely at some point after he retires. Fletcher Cox, in my opinion, is a top-ten eagle of all time already. Great pick. Great pick. We'll give Howie Roseman two for three so far. 2013, fourth overall, the birds go Lane Johnson. Thank God it was not Deion Jordan. That was Chip Kelly's first year as head coach. I remember Deion Jordan came out of Oregon, and that was every mock draft had Deion Jordan going to Philly because it made sense. Hey, the Oregon chip, the, you know, the Oregon's going to get his guy. Chip Kelly's going to get his guy, Deion Jordan from Oregon. Thank God it didn't happen. Thank God. I believe it was Oakland was originally supposed to pick third, if I remember correctly. I think it was. Whoever it was, Miami obviously traded up, took him third overall uh, ahead of the Birds. So the temptation was not there for first-year head coach Chip Kelly to get in Howie Roseman's ear and go, hey, yo, what about uh, this guy? Lane Johnson becomes an eagle, is a fucking pillar on the right side of the line. Great, great, great player if he could stay off the juice, as Jason Kelsey said, and his mummer's presser at the Super Bowl parade. That's the only, only red flag with him. 
Other than that, Love Lane Johnson fits in perfectly with this city, with this team, with this locker room. Great guy, great pick. Home run. Which brings us to 2014. This was a year we traded back. The, I think it was twice, if I'm not mistaken. We we're originally supposed to pick, I think it was 19th or 20th. Traded back uh, to the 22nd pick. And from there, Cleveland moved up to the 22nd pick. We traded back with them, swapped picks. Cleveland took Johnny Manziel. That was the infamous Manziel pick. So we moved back to 26 and take Marcus Smith, edge rusher out of Louisville. And I remember there was that famous shot of there was a guy on NFL Network, an Eagles fan, you know, the TV crews, hey, let's go find a guy who's wearing the team gear that just picked. And, you know, let, let's, let's, let's see how pissed he is, right, or see how stoked he is. And there's a shot of a guy who just goes, who? When Marcus Smith was picked. Because he was a projected – I mean, he was, he was a nice player in college. But this is a guy that was a projected maybe third-rounder, late second-round pick, and he goes 26 overall. And it's instant alcohol poisoning for the rest of your life. For the rest of your night, excuse me, if you're an Eagles fan. Terrible, terrible, terrible pick. Now, before the 2015 draft is where – this is where Chip Kelly and Howie Roseman kind of got into it a little bit. This is where there was the, hey, I want, I want complete personnel control from Chip Kelly. He's threatening to leave and throwing a temper tantrum and everything else because Marcus Mariota's coming out and everybody's thinking Chip, Chip wants his guy at quarterback. He just traded Nick Foles for uh, Sam Bradford. Look, that was the most nervous I have ever been going into a draft because I did not want Marcus Mariota. It was him and Jameis Winston coming out that year. You knew they were going to go one, two. Jameis seemed to be the sure thing going number one to Tampa. I didn't like either of those dudes at all. Okay. That being said, the quarterback I did want the Eagles to take that year was Bryce Petty out of Baylor. So so I'm not sitting here going, Hey, look how awesome I am because you know, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota didn't work out. No, well they had better careers than Bryce Petty did. But I did not want Chip to offer ownership to all the Wawa's in Philly, stock and tasty cake, all the butterscotch crippets he could want, and nine future first-round picks to move up with Tennessee to take Marcus Mariota. I did not want that under no fucking circumstance. Thank God it didn't happen. So we stayed put at 20 that year. Chip Kelly pulls the trigger. 20th overall takes Nelson Aguilar, wide receiver out of USC. At the time... Liked the pick a lot. Liked a lot. Needed receivers. You know, and Aguilar, obviously, he he his career, he's become a meme now because the guy said, oh, we were catching babies out of the window, unlike Aguilar. You know, and there was a fire in an apartment building back in Philly this year because Aguilar just became known for his drops. You know, I started calling Nelson can't catch the clap in a whorehouse Aguilar. You know, that's just that's what he was known for. However, Super Bowl year, he was good, man. He's never going to be a number one. I don't even think he's a good number two, but Oakland just brought him in. You know, if you can get him to be a three or a four, that's that's his ceiling, if he can learn how to catch the damn ball. You know, but there were high hopes for Aguilar. I remember he had like a big explosive touchdown catch against somebody in the preseason. And I remember like fantasy draft. I remember my buddy Scott texting me like, hey, man, so what what round are you taking Aguilar? You know, like it was just like he he had some buzz around him. You know, and then he got to the league, couldn't catch a damn thing, turned it on Super Bowl year, 
went back, regressed again to the same Aguilar this past year and ultimately finds himself out in Oakland. Or Las Vegas, excuse me. It sounds so weird saying the Las Vegas Raiders, dude. I'm still going to call them. It's just like the Chargers. I'm fully aware now. It's been a couple years. I know the Chargers are in Los Angeles, but I'm still going to call them San Diego. I don't give a shit. Same with the Raiders. They're not, they're not Las Vegas. They're going to be Oakland. 2016 is where the franchise happens. Carson Wentz. That's where everything changed. Howie Roseman took two guys who aren't even – actually, Kiko Alonso is in the league any, list still. I take that back. Byron Maxwell, to my knowledge, is not. And originally slated to pick at 15th – or excuse me, 13th in 2016. Howie Roseman packages Byron Maxwell, terrible, terrible contract, and Kiko Alonso. Damaged goods at that point. But, hey, he went to Oregon. (laughs) Packages those two. Moves up number two overall with Cleveland. Takes Carson Wentz. Who's the obvious pick? I'm not not saying that it, it too, he should have gone another direction because Wentz is obvious at number two. But what I'm saying is for everybody who wants to shit on Howie Roseman when he doesn't pull the trigger on the shiny new toy in free agency that you want, just remember – the Super Bowl does not happen without Carson Wentz. I'm well aware that Nick Foles is the guy that won it. You won't find a bigger Nick Foles fan than I am. But remember, home field advantage and the entire path that eventually got traveled down to get to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 52, doesn't happen if Carson Wentz doesn't go 11-2 and and is the MVP of the league when he blows his ACL out against the Rams. Howie Roseman turned Byron Maxwell and Kiko Alonso into an MVP in a Super Bowl. Think about that for a minute. And get back to me the next time you want to shit on him because he doesn't take the next receiver you want. 2017, this was the draft that took place in Philly on the Rocky Steps. Now, we didn't initially, there was no first-round pick initially for the Eagles in 2017. Until Wentz happened, somehow Howie Roseman fleeced Minnesota. I think he drugged him to give him a first-round pick for Sam Baggy Sleeves Bradford because that was the year that Teddy Bridgewater had the nasty-ass torn ACL injury that apparently grown men were throwing up and crying about that was so gross. So Minnesota felt they were a contender. They felt Bradford was good enough that he could help him tread water until Teddy got back and maybe, maybe, maybe do something with him. Minnesota sends their first-round pick to the Eagles for Sam Bradford and in turn – Howie Roseman turns that pick into Derek Barnett, who had more sacks at the University of Tennessee than Eagles legend Reggie White. What better way to endear yourself to the city of Philly on the Rocky Steps with the draft in Philly than to go to the team that Reggie White got drafted by and played for? Now Barnett's had Barnett's had a he's he's had some injuries, but He's still young. He's still in his rookie contract. I like I like Barnett. If he can stay healthy, and again, you got to remember with the Eagles with defensive linemen, man, they're constantly rotating. The Birds aren't going to have a defensive lineman anymore, an edge rusher that's going to have 18, 19 sacks. This just isn't, that's not, that was, that was back in the Trent Cole years. Jason Babin, fucking of all people, had a year like that. It's just not going to happen now. Not the way they rotate these defensive linemen. You look back at the Super Bowl, look how many plays Chris Long made. He wasn't a starter on that team. That's just the way the front four is the strength of this team. And Barnett is a reason why. 2018 is the only year 
this decade where the Eagles did not pick in the first round. Not, not, not by any, you know, it was their choosing. This was the year after they won the Super Bowl. Set to pick 32nd overall. Baltimore ended up trading up, taking the Super Bowl pick from the Eagles in exchange for another draft pick. And that's where Baltimore ended up taking Lamar Jackson with the Eagles' original pick. So you're welcome, Baltimore. And in turn, the Birds moved back 49th overall, their first pick of that draft, not a first-rounder in the second round. 49th overall, Dallas Goddard. That was where we got healed David Akers and Dallas just fucking heckling the Cowboy fans. It was great the year before when Drew Pearson came out in Philly and, hey, you'll never win anything. And then that exact year, the Birds win the Super Bowl. What a what a what a troll job. I remember in that moment being so proud to be an Eagles fan when the year after Drew Pearson came to Philly and stood on the Rocky Steps, you know, and they have the second rounders and all the legends come out to pick for their own teams and announce a draft pick. Pearson comes and talks all his shit. Win a Super Bowl and then we go to the draft is in Dallas next year. We send our fucking kicker out there to cut a promo on him. And Dallas was so pissed off. I remember a buddy of mine that was a Dallas fan texting me and going, really with this? You know, like, oh, but it was okay last year. It was okay last year when Drew Pearson did it. You're just mad because we have a Super Bowl now. Post VHS tapes. And you had a borderline Hall of Fame receiver that was talking trash to our fans. We sent a kicker out. So suck it. Dallas Goddard been a great addition, obviously. Very physical presence. Him, Zach Ertz. Incredible double tight end sets. It's a staple of this Eagles offense now. I love seeing it. That was that was an incredible pick by Howie Roseman, although it was not in the first round. <clears throat> then we go to last year, all right? Andre Dillard, 22nd overall. Now, the Eagles were originally scheduled to pick 25th last year, originally slotted, excuse me, to pick 25th. Houston picked that. It was either 23rd or 24th. I can't remember exactly. I don't have the draft board on top right in front of me. Everyone knew. Houston was going to take an offensive line. It was obvious. <clears throat> Deshaun Watson had taken a beating the year prior. Houston needed no lineman. All right, it's kind of like another team this year get, that keeps getting certain positions slotted to them in mock drafts everywhere. That's how Houston was last year with offensive linemen because it was a need, glaring. So Howie Roseman, being Howie Roseman, being the wizard that he is, trades up ahead of Houston to take Andre Dillard. Offensive tackle out of Washington State. Which left Houston to take Titus Howard. Incredible reach for where he was projected to go. I don't even know what he did in his rookie year, if I'm being honest. I don't even know if he was a starter. I'm not really up on uh, all things Houston Texans, admittedly. I just know I think Bill O'Brien's dropped a fucking nuke in the middle of that team this offseason. And I respect Bill O'Brien as a Penn State fan because I like what he did for my college team. But Jesus, man. This is what, like, please, somebody, Houston, hire a GM for Christ's sake. This guy, man, I don't know what the hell, what what O'Brien's doing. But so anyway, Dillard goes, we take him. He is sitting now behind Jason Peters, the bodyguard, who I love. Top 10 Eagle of all time, in my opinion. Future Hall of Famer, but Jesus. He's another one of those kind of charity spots on the roster that the Birds have occupied for the last couple years. Him and Darren Sproles. I love Jason Peters. Always will. I actually hope we bring him back in free agency. You know, it would make sense, but I don't want him as a starter at this point in his career. Watching him get into his stance makes me uncomfortable sitting on the couch. Not to mention he's due. He's guaranteed. He's a lock 
for a false start every game, and it always comes at the fucking worst time. Every time it comes at the worst time. Third and three. Blow the whistle, hanky on the field, back it up, third and eight, we don't convert. Every time. Love Jason Peters. But I had been calling, I had been wanting Jason Peters replacement for the last three years prior to that. Finally trade up, get Andre Dillard. You've got him and Lane Johnson now to protect Wentz for the next five years. I love it. That was a pick that needed to be made. So if you look back now, over the last 10 years, Howie Roseman has traded up four times in the draft, traded back once. Okay? Traded up three times, excuse me, four times. 2011, 2012, 2016, 2019. Only traded back once. Twice. Traded out of the first round once, I'm sorry. Look at the positions he picked. It's obvious what he values the most. There's only one non-first round lineman. Two if you count Nelson Aguilar. I'm not counting him because that was a dipshit chip pick. There's only one that wasn't in the trenches, and that's Carson Wentz. So let's just – and this will get delved into deeper on the draft preview episode we've got coming in the next week or so. We'll probably drop the morning of the draft. We'll go deeper into it then. But just keep this in mind as you're looking at draft boards over the next week or so, mock drafts. Yeah, receiver's a possibility. It's a probability. It's definitely the most glaring need, like we were just saying with Houston last year in offensive tackle. But if one of these offensive or defensive linemen fall, it's going to be really hard not to pass up if you're Howie Roseman. It's going to be really hard, just based off his track record. So all I'm saying is if you've got Yitor Grosmatos out of Penn State, who happens to fall as an edge rusher to 21. Say maybe Andre, or not Andre, that was last year, Andre Dillard, duh. Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle out of Georgia. I don't think he falls to 21. But what if he falls 18 or 19? I'm telling you, don't put it past Howie, especially to take one of these young defensive linemen. That's his forte. That's why it's the strength of this team. So just keep that in mind as you're studying mock drafts. If you're like me and you're a mock draft nerd, you're looking at about 12 a day. Even though there aren't even being 12 different ones posted a day, probably you just want to go back and read the same shit because there's nothing else to do in the middle of a quarantine. It's not like there's any sports to watch, you know, unless you want to go back and watch MLB All-Star games from 2016 or whatever the hell they're showing, you know. And there's a certain line I've noticed with that. Like with this quarantine, side note, there's certain – you can only go back but so many years before something's cool to watch over again. Like you don't want to watch something over from 2017. You know what I mean? But if it takes you back to like the 70s or 80s, you can get super nostalgic, at least in my opinion, unless it's Eagles related. Like the other night on NFL Network, they replayed Super Bowl 52. I was all in. I was all in. Almost poured one. Then I remembered, you know, weeknight, got to work tomorrow. Can't do it. So that is the first round draft history of the 2010s as we get into the next decade here of Eagles football. So... As we do get into the next decade of Eagles football, um, this past week, um, amidst COVID-19 and the pandemic, everything that's been going on to make it even more weird, this past week, three Eagles legends have passed away in the past week. It's insane. They say it comes in threes, and I get that they say it comes in threes, but that's not normally with fucking one, just one NFL team, right? 
It's not normally one NFL team. It's normally like you got like Michael Jackson, it was Farrah Fawcett, and somebody else. Normally you get three all together through the entire world or the entire universe, right? You know, it's not normally three of one team. So it was bizarre, man. It was strange. It was a trip on, uh, I believe it was Sunday when Tom Dempsey died. He was 73 years old. And, you know, Tom Dempsey, he only spent, uh, I think it was four years with the Eagles. Yeah, 71, 72, 73, and 74. Obviously, he was most known for kicking a 63-yard field goal with the Saints. Um, That was a record that stood for 43 years until Matt Prater hit a 64-yarder in 2013. Dempsey set the record with 63 back in 1970 against Detroit. And, you know, for those who don't know, again, if you're listening to this podcast specifically, I'm sure you do. But for those that don't, what made it even more remarkable about what Dempsey did is he was born with half a kicking foot. Born with half a kicking foot. He was a straight on, you know, straight on style kicker. If you go back and watch the replay of that, he takes like two steps and boots it. And it just, you know, that thing soars, man. You know, you got these kickers now that, you know, 34-yard extra points shanking them. It's just crazy to go back and watch him nail that extra point, or excuse me, field goal. And there wasn't a lot of room to spare, admittedly, but he did it. And he had half a foot to do it. That's remarkable. I remember hearing about that when I was about 9, 10 years old. I was like my son's age now. And I heard about Dempsey hitting and Oh, my dad was like, yeah, he had half a foot too. What? Then you look it up and you see it and you're like, holy shit, man. That's unreal. Record stood for 43 years. Again, he was only an Eagle for four years of his career from 71 to 74. Passes away at 73 years old uh, from complications of COVID-19, unfortunately. Then on Tuesday or Wednesday of this past week, we had Timmy Brown pass away, former running back. He's an Eagles Hall of Famer. He is also a member of the Eagles 75th anniversary team. He was part of the 1960 Eagles championship team against the Green Bay Packers and won the NFL championship, a three-time Pro Bowler, three-time second-team All-Pro. Timmy Brown amassed over 12,000 all-purpose yards and 62 touchdowns during his eight years with the Birds from 1960 to 1967. Uh, in the boot, after his career, he became a full-time actor after retiring from the NFL. <clears throat> Excuse me. He appeared in the hit TV show MASH, uh, Mary Tyler Moore Show, Nashville, and uh, movies like Sweet Sugar. Uh, the tagline of this movie made me laugh. The tagline is, her machete, machete, ugh, excuse me, her machete isn't her only weapon. <laughs> That's how they talk dirty in 1972, I guess. That's way, way before Pornhub and XNXX and things. So that was... That's how they got your attention back in the 70s. And Timmy Brown was a part of that. He also recorded music, singles for uh, Imperial Records and Mercury Records back in the day. Uh, just an all-purpose, just, a, just a, a utility knife back in the day, given that day and age and that era he played in. He passed away at 82 years old uh, from complications from dementia. And then yesterday, yesterday, this is we're recording this on Saturday uh, the 11th. So on Friday the 10th, yesterday morning, uh, Eagles Hall of Famer Pete Retzlaff passed away. Um, 88 years old. Uh, it was a kid. It wasn't COVID-19 related. It was just old age. Uh, Pete Retzlaff, who 
<clears throat> spent his entire 11-year career in Philly from 1956 to 1966. He, like Timmy Brown, was also a member of the 1960 NFL championship team. Retzlaff was a five-time Pro Bowler, two-time first-team All-Pro, and two-time second-team All-Pro. 452 receptions on his career for 7,412 yards and 47 touchdowns. Think about those stats back in those days, people. Look at those numbers and think of back in the day when he played from 56 to 66. Those are, those are fantasy numbers now. Those are video game numbers compared to now. This is back when, you know, football, the final scores were, you know, 13 to 6, where if you threw for 150 yards in a game as a quarterback, you were awesome. You know, if you threw for 16 touchdowns in a year, good for you. You take those numbers and extrapolate them to back in the day. It's phenomenal what Retzlaff was able to do. He's an Eagles Hall of Famer as well. He is one of nine players who's had his number retired by the franchise. He wore number 44. It is hanging in the rafters of Lincoln Financial Field. And historically, just to put in context how good he was in the entire history of the Philadelphia Eagles. Again, this team's been around since 1933, people. Only Harold Carmichael has more receiving yards than Pete Retzlaff does in team history. And to boot, only Harold Carmichael and Zach Ertz have more receptions than Pete Retzlaff does in Eagles history. So just something to think about. It may not be a name that, that a lot of the young fans have heard, but if you've got a parent of a certain age or if you've done research of your own, realistically, if you just looked in the rafters at the link, they at least should have rang a bell to you. Pete Retzlaff's a fucking legend. And as of yesterday morning, he's gone. So... You know, they come in threes, man. It's just weird when they come in threes, and it, it happens to be three guys that played for your team that have careers that were very well known for different reasons, that's for sure. So uh, rest in peace to those guys, thoughts and prayers with their families, all that good stuff. And uh, with that said, I think, uh, I, think I've, I think I'll go ahead and shut my ramblings down, man. I think. I think this was, uh, I think this was good. Wanted to go back and get a look at uh, – you know, Howie Roseman's draft history, free agency, how he recovered, and how the entire fan base suddenly turned on him or turned their opinion around on him after hating him and calling for his head. Now it's, oh, Darius Slay, he's awesome again. We love him. It's funny how bipolar people are. Like we were just saying, the Internet, that's culture now in 2020. It's just let's, let's just hate things for no reason. What can we put on our Facebook wall or tweet out just to hate for no reason without even thinking about it? Let's just react. Is be patient. And this is coming from an impatient guy. But Howie Roseman came through again. And he will. He will continue to. Trust in Howie Roseman, people. So uh, we will see you again. I will see you back here. I believe uh, the, let's see, the draft is on the 23rd. So we're recording the draft episode uh, that Wednesday, the 22nd. It will either drop uh, that night, probably not that night, probably the following morning. So prior to uh, Cincinnati going on the clock, Thursday night, the 23rd, we will have the draft episode will be posted for you. This is when I will completely just snort nothing, nothing but draft for however long. It's it's my cocaine every year. Like I said, the draft is my favorite drug. It is my favorite sporting event every single year. Can't wait to get after it. But before we send you off uh, to enjoy the rest of your quarantine this afternoon, whenever you listen to this, a couple of people I wanted to thank for helping this project uh, get off the ground. So for the last two years, ever since the birds won the Super Bowl, I've wanted to do this, get back after it, you know, and, and just chipping away at the concept, chipping away at the name. As I was watching, uh, 
Villanova win their second national championship in three years against Michigan. A couple just matter of weeks after the Birds won Super Bowl 52. Uh, it was Charles Barkley who said as Villanova came out to a, uh, a good, good, good lead on Michigan, looked like they were going to close everything out and ultimately did, looking like it's going to be another grease pole night in Philly. At that point, I had sipped a few, light bulb went off. There we go, Grease Pole Podcast. That's the name. So we started slowly chipping away at it, putting some sounds together and everything. Wanted to launch before the draft last year, but didn't have all the proverbial ducks in a row. And my obsessive compulsive bullshit wouldn't allow me to do it until I could do it the right way, or at least what I consider to be the right way. So, you know, a year later, here we are. So, you know, it's, it's going to take some time, man. I'm going to be honest. I still got some cobwebs on me right now. It's been a while. Life is equilibrium is completely fucked for everybody right now. You know what I mean? But as this thing's, you know, as this thing navigates and it finds its voice, I think it'll be, uh, it'll, it'll be something to, something to behold. I think it'll be fun. It'll be something different. At least the problem line is now in 2020, there's, you know, I've done research, but there's, there's a couple of Eagles podcasts out there. There's several good ones. This is not a dumb fan base for the most part. It's very intense, very passionate. There's several, several podcasts out there you can listen to. But as this thing finds its voice, I guarantee it'll at minimum be something different. So uh, thank you to everyone who's uh, helped me get this thing off the ground. Uh, the lovely and amazing, talented Carrie De Silva for putting together the show graphic. Um, it's supposed to be me climbing up that pole. It, it should be heavier, admittedly. But uh, I didn't want to make her <coughs> – I didn't want to make her go over too much. I was kind of a – High maintenance diva when we were putting it together. You know, I told her, I was like, hey, look, make this thing as Philly as possible. I was super anal about the details, and she was very accommodating and is very, very appreciative. Uh, my buddy Shaq Dorsey for putting together the intro for this show. A uh, couple nights, late nights together. We both work in the same place, early hours, long hours. Uh, putting putting the intro for this thing together, something that we both liked, something that I could get behind, something that made me go, okay, I like it. And finally got that together, so thank you to him. And last, but certainly not least, uh, my good friend, producer extraordinaire, Justin Wilson, for uh, tolerating me in the middle of this global pandemic in, uh, you know, panic, panic city. You know, I know he's been going stir-crazy as well with his kids at home, and it's a six-month summer for the kids, man. It's a lot. It's a lot. Jesus, can you imagine back in the day? That would have been awesome, man, you know? But once you get north of 30 and you got kids of your own, it's not so awesome. That's when you find out, holy shit, this is a full-time job. You know, if anything, it's more stressful than the other full-time jobs. So uh, thanks for uh, giving me a, a platform, man, to spew my bullshit. And, uh, you know, for the support over the years, man, really, really appreciate it. So uh, with that being said, uh, mazel tov, cheers, and uh, look forward to seeing what chains over changes uh, over the landscape of the next couple weeks, the next week and a half as we approach the draft, the first first virtual draft uh, in NFL history, see exactly how that goes and what it entails. We'll find out. And uh, we look forward to seeing you back here on April 20. We'll go with the 23rd. It'll probably drop the morning of the draft. And uh, look forward to just, just giving you a smorgasbord of uh, draft coverage or however you say that word um, of nothing but just – just methamphetamine of draft coverage to lead you into Thursday evening to see what the birds do at pick 21. 
Uh, again, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate your support. Uh, rate, subscribe, review. You can follow the show on Instagram at Greased Pole Podcast. Comments, suggestions, concerns, anything. It's always welcome. Thanks for listening. My name's Corey O'Neill. I'll see you back here before the draft. Go Birds. Yo, how'd Barkley put it? <laughs> Looking like another Grease Pole night in Philly. Philly.